the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we're convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. We're in a series called The Story of God. And as we walk through uh, the Bible this year, and I hope that you're reading along, and if you haven't, feel free just to jump in wherever you are. Uh, it's on our app and there's places to reading plans. But, but part of it is to story us in the scriptures. For many of us, we live our life and then we come to the Bible and we look for verses to speak into our life or to confirm something that we're experiencing as opposed to coming first to the story and letting that story interpret us and interpret our lives. And so even in this moment of Heather leaving, this is part of a long series of biblical history and church history of God giving people to the church and the church sending people into the world and God reproducing his story in other people's lives. We are participating in an active story. And today we come to Genesis 22. So if you have a Bible, turn with me there. And it's the story of Abraham and Isaac and Abraham's test of faith. It's a story that I think for many of us is confusing. Because as we looked at last week, here is Abraham and Sarah. And when the question is asked, God, how are you going to take this world that has fallen and is broken and is spinning out of control and redeem it? His answer is really peculiar. Because he's going to do it by choosing a man and a woman who are very old and out of the barrenness of that relationship, bringing forth a child who would become the nation of Israel. And through that nation to bring a savior, so that through Abraham, all the people of the world would be blessed. It's a weird way to go about fixing the world, if you ask me. But at the same time, it's the story. It's the story that we find ourselves in. And so there has been this long struggle with Abraham and God and Sarah and faith to trust the promise Years and years go by from the time that promise is spoken to the moment that the baby actually comes into the world. Hebrews describes the possibility of Abraham and Sarah having a child as, with these words, their bodies as good as dead. I know what that feels like sometimes, right? And, and so it's the possibility in the midst of impossibility when God speaks his promises into an impossible situation. The child of the promise is given to us. And so Isaac's born and his name means laughter. And they name him after laughter because it is that resurrection Easter laugh that Sarah had when she heard she was going to have a child in her old age. She laughs because, not because it's simply funny, but because there's a joyous like reality, that in the midst of the impossible, God speaks his promise and creates laughter and creates joy. In the very next chapter, he invites Abraham to go on a journey 
and the sacrifice his son. Which in all estimation makes God seem like he's confused. Like he's possibly not good. Like he's demanding something that's immoral. Abraham and Sarah are traveling in Canaan, which is full of other gods and gods who demanded child sacrifice and a number of other sacrifices. And Yahweh is not like other gods, but he still puts Abraham to the test. Now, when we come to passages like this in scripture, I think the first thing that all of us want to do is identify with the main characters. Oh, God tests Abraham just like he tests me. It's kind of true, kind of not true, right? Because if you ever hear this, like, go sacrifice your child, that's not God. But Abraham hears it, and, and, and it's creating a story for the people of God to read their story into, and so before we jump to all kinds of personal applications, the real story is to understand what God's doing through this story and how that story impacts our lives today in the present. So read with me. I just want to read the story in its entirety. Chapter 22, verse 1. It says this, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. And early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We'll worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it. And bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. 
and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I'll surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of cities and of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. The story begins with a test and though we understand the outcome, Abraham doesn't. And the request shows us that God knows how special Isaac is to Abraham. He says, your son, your only son whom you love. He says that three times in the passage. God is not unaware that that the feelings, the emotions of the moment are very, very real. The first time God told him to go, it was to go from his past, to leave your family and your people and leave this place and go to the land I will show you. But this go, this three-day journey, is a go from his future. Because all of the promises that God had given to Abraham are bound up in this son, Isaac. If there's no Isaac, there's no Israel. If there's no Israel, there's no promised seed. If there's no promised seed, there's no salvation to bless the nations with. Everything hangs on this life that God had given him miraculously through the promise. So you can imagine the questions that Abraham has, the doubts that he has, the tension between the God who gave and fulfilled a promise in the midst of impossibility and the God who wants the child back for himself. There must have been some wrestling match, some conclusions that were drawn. Hebrews tells us that one of the things that Abraham believed is that Isaac would be resurrected from the dead. He he, had come to some conclusion to walk out this faith that the one who gave the promise out of nothing, out of bodies as good as dead, can ask for it back and be trusted to fulfill his promise because he believed that Isaac ultimately belonged to God. There's all kinds of things I don't like about the story. Probably the biggest thing I don't like about the story is that God tests faith. I hate tests. I don't know about you, I don't like tests. I always wonder if they're, I'm gonna have to retake my driver's test because... Um, like at some point, are they just going to keep giving me? Because what if you fail that after driving for 30 years? That would be weird. And I don't like the fact that God would give tests. Particularly, and, and then I want to play it back on God. I'm like, you're omniscient. You know me. Like, you know me. You know. Come on. <laughs> I want to get out of it. But there is something about God, though he is all-knowing and outside of time and space, but he relates to us in the present. 
And in a very real sense, he walks with us in the moment by moment, hour by hour circumstances of our life. And he wants to know what we believe and how our faith, what is the metal of our faith, what's it's actually made of, what will we do when circumstances come crashing in. But this is bigger than the test that you and I have. Because this is a test about the promises of God, the tangible gift that God gave him. This is not our test, it's Abraham's test. And it's a test that demands from him a faith beyond anything that he could figure out on his own or see or even know. But somewhere inside him, he either tells a white lie to Isaac and says, hey, God will provide a ram, or he actually believes it. We don't know. But that's the answer he gives to him. And so there is this three-day journey that, that he goes through. Three excruciating days. This isn't a sudden haste haste kind of ridden act of faith like hey do this okay I'm just going to dive in and do it not think about it it's three days with his son thinking about the consequence thinking about what's happening Sarah's not in the picture does she know has he told her there is so much at stake on this journey and Isaac asks where Where's the ram? What are we doing? The Lord will provide. In verse nine, it says, when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Don't lay your hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. It is an excruciating moment. As I talk to people and and I've encouraged all of us to read through the scripture this year together, people are shocked by the stories. Because it is a a raw book about humanity and, 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 and it gives us a picture of a God that we can't understand or control or even make excuses for at times. And he puts Abraham in the most excruciating of situations and the question of why, why, why we can ask till we're blue in the face but we don't have an answer for why he tests him. We know at some point that Isaac complies. Because Isaac is anywhere from 13 to 40. And Abraham's 100 plus. He could have taken him out probably. If a 100 year old man came to you and tried to tie you up, right? I think you'd probably go, I can figure this one out. I mean, it's a little sketchy for a moment, but I made it through. So at some point, he becomes willing. 
And so we try to listen to the story. And as I try to listen to the story, it's like, it just makes no sense to me. But, but let's go back to the idea that we're called to be a storied people. And it's, as non-Jewish people, for the most part, we aren't storied. We're Gentiles. We come into it going, ah, it doesn't make sense. As people who want to hyper-individualize the story and make it all about us. But how would Israel have interpreted this story? Would they see themselves as Abraham? Or would they have seen themselves as Isaac? The truth is they would have identified more with Isaac because if there is no Isaac, there is no Israel. Their whole existence lies right here in this moment. They would have identified with the question, will we live? Or will we die? Will God demand our lives or will he provide so we can live? Through all of Israel's history, they understood this fact that the firstborn belonged to the Lord. And, and, and you see this in the book of Exodus, in the Passover, that God there is a, the, the shedding of blood and put over the doorpost to protect the firstborn of Israel. There are sacrifices made throughout all of Israel's history for the atonement of their sin. When we come even to the birth of Jesus, he shows up in the temple on the eighth day to give sacrifice of atonement for this child, to redeem the firstborn. So the idea of offering the firstborn to God was part of their story. And, and the idea of sacrifice was part of their story. They understood that without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sin. They understood that. Some of you who are reading through the story on our app uh, came to Leviticus 4 through 7, I think, on Saturday. Just a gory story of sacrifice and blood and sacrifice and blood. And the priest will throw the blood on the altar. And, and uh, one of you tweeted to me, there is no place for a vegan in God's story. And I was like, no, you could crumble a vegan cookie and throw it on the altar and see what he thinks. I don't know. Because the story isn't just that he demands blood, but that his holiness demands atonement. Israel would have understood that if Isaac dies here, they die too. And the truth is, if Isaac dies here, you and I die too. Because the blessing that comes through Israel so that Abraham would be blessing all the nations is bound up right here in Isaac. And so it's so appropriate when John the Baptist sees Jesus that he would cry out to him, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lord provides, God intervenes so that Isaac can live and belong to God. God provides the sacrifice. And the Lamb of God is provided so that you can live 
and belong to God. Because Jesus becomes the sacrifice. And that's where we find ourselves in this story. We're not Abraham being tested. We're Isaac with a question. Will we die or will we live? And, and will we be provided for so that we can belong to God? Israel understood that the firstborn would belong to God. And God made a way so that all of us outside of Israel could be brought in and become sons and daughters. And so there is this provision moment in verse 13 that Abraham looks up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Three times we hear your son, the son whom you've loved, and we also hear the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Here in this excruciating test, for Abraham, he passes the test, he, he moves by faith, but God does not demand the sacrifice. Though he knows that this is your son, your son whom you love. You hear those words again in Matthew's gospel when Jesus is baptized. And you hear him come up out of the water and you hear the voice from heaven say, behold, this is my son, the son whom I love and am well pleased. And yet, God didn't withhold the knife from his son. Romans chapter eight says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not give us everything else? For all eternity, God has been father and the son has been the son. God has existed as father, son, and spirit. There was never a time when there was just the being of God and then they became father, son, and spirit. God has always been father, son, and spirit. And so while we can enter the story through Abraham's eyes and say, I can't imagine I could never offer my child up no one has ever loved the son more than the father. So when he says those words, the son whom you love, he's not just reiterating some, something that he thinks humans talk about. He's, it's coming from the very being of God's relationship within himself. And yet, to provide for you, to get it so that both Isaac, Israel, and all the people who would be blessed through them could become children of God and belong to God. The son takes on flesh and becomes the lamb in the thicket. The son whom the father loves and is well pleased is bound to the cross and willingly lays on the cross to become the sacrifice for sin. 
And the question that the story asks us is not what do you do when your faith is tested? The question that the story asks us is who do you trust in to provide for you? Who do you trust in for your salvation? How is it that you understand that you would belong to God and you get to live? Is it through anything that you do? Is it through any action of yourself? Is it because your faith is so great? Or is it simply because the Lord has provided a savior so that you can live and be forgiven and belong to God. Because anything or anyone that you trust in beyond that will not save you, will not provide for you, will not give you life. And and we can wrestle with the story and fight with the story and go, well, why would God demand that anyways? But but the, the, the people of God, Israel, always have known that God can demand anything he wants. That God is holy. He's other. He's not like us. And the fact that sin needs to be atoned for isn't just something he made up because he's angry, but it's something that's core to a relationship that he wants to have with a rebellious and sinful people and yet maintain the holiness of his character. But in his love and in his mercy, he provides the lamb. He provides his own son so that you can belong to him and be his children. And so after this, the angel of the Lord calls to Abraham from heaven a second time and, and God swears by himself declares the Lord that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. And there's this threefold sort of covenant blessing that God has given him throughout his journey, his spiritual journey. And here he reiterates it and says, I will bless you and I will make your descendants great. This nation will come from you. I will give you the promised land that you've entered and are living in right now in tents. And then finally, all the people will be blessed through you. And that's where you and I them into the story. See, this test is not for us. It's for Abraham. And Israel would have seen themselves in Isaac, and that's who we need to see ourselves in. Because we're the ones who benefit from Abraham's faith as children of the promise. Paul says that we are children of Abraham. We are the, all the nations get in on this. But ultimately, this story benefits us because we learn that God is a God that provides himself so that we can live and we can belong to him. The Lord provides the lamb of the sacrifice, and the lamb is his son. 
So the test of our faith today, the test of our faith is who do you trust for your salvation? Because if it's anything other than the Lord who provides, the lamb who is slain, the son with whom God was well pleased, then it's, then you're trusting in something that won't provide. This morning we come to this table, a table that, that, that hearkens to us like every week that this is your story. That there's wine and bread, a broken body and shed blood that invites us to be that Abrahamic blessing. People who get into the story through Isaac, not because of bloodlines, but because of God of mercy and grace. And as you come to this table today, it's an invitation to come and to put the full weight of your heart on God's provision for you so that you can have life today, forgiveness of sins, and belong to God as his sons and daughters through the sacrifice of his son. Jesus Christ, let's pray. Father, this morning, um, there's a sense of awe that I feel as we stand before this table. Uh, A sense that this table is a storied table that finds its entrance even back into this story of Abraham and Isaac. That God, you would um, be such a God of mercy and yet such a God of holiness that not only would you demand the sacrifice, but in your grace you would provide it. And so we sit here today, God, under the awesomeness of your holiness and your mercy. And we give thanks, which seems so weak in this moment. We confess you as the Lord who provides. And we trust you because we have nothing else to bring to this table but our faith and our trust in the lamb who was slain for our sins that you have withheld nothing from us. You've given us your very son. And so how can we not trust you with everything? Because you are the God who provides. Meet us here in this moment and provide again for us yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you are interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.imagodaycommunity.com.